your reality is spiritual. His truth is his truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Father, we give you this time. We ask you to breathe into this word so that it is full of your life in the name of Jesus. Go with me to Matthew 21 and verse 10. And so this is an account of a moment as Jesus is coming in in the triumphal entry. They know that he's coming. They've heard about him because um, on the previous Sabbath, the day before, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. So if he wasn't famous already, the word's gone out. There's a buzz among the multitudes. And so they come to see him. That's really what precipitates this. And here in this verse, it says, and when he had come into Jerusalem, that's Jesus, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitudes said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I, I want to talk about that. This is really just going to lead us in. I want to kind of set a stage here. Now I'm going to use a story. Pick on Sandra again. When I met Sandra, <laughs> it's been a while. It's been, a, it's been too much time. It's time for another story. Okay. So when I met her, we were, um, I'll keep this part brief because there's so much good stuff. We were on a temporary job assignment together. We were co-workers, and I'm pretty sure our, our supervisor noticed we made a pretty good team, so we were always buddied up on this. And as we got to know each other, what falling in love looks like on Sandra's face is um, she would get a really strange face, and she would look at me and go, who are you? That would happen all the time. Like she would, she would say, who, who are you? We would have this relational development. She would say, who are you? That's what falling in love looked like. And that's what they're doing here. Okay. And we're going to see that throughout what I believe the Lord's given me to say this morning. Jesus is coming in and the multitude is coming to praise. And yet what they're moved saying, who is this? And then they say something true about him there, right? They say he's a prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Is that true? That's true. <laughs> is that all that Jesus is? Does that show us that they have a handle on the majesty of this who he is and what is happening in the natural from the courts of heaven in this moment as Jesus comes in? Doesn't even scratch it, right? Go with me to Luke 19 and we'll start in verse 37. And actually, not surprisingly, people have been talking about this scripture all morning. This is where it says, if they don't praise me, the stones will. And here in verse 37, it starts and says, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, in other words, he's coming over the mountain. From that place, you can actually look out over Jerusalem. He can probably see much of the road that is the pilgrim's road that he's about to go down. And it says, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they'd seen. A lot of that probably relates to late Lazarus's raising, but all the mighty works they'd seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So you see, they're, they're doing this. They're having this moment where they're going, they're sensing within them this is someone. In fact, they have a sense that this might be the Messiah. This is the king. They're saying, who are you? What's going on here? The multitude is sensing it. 
And then, as was mentioned, I think more than once this morning, the Pharisees call out to Jesus and say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why are they saying this? Before we even get into the gold, I think we really have to get a handle on this, what's going on. You understand, what's happening on this pilgrim's road is really it's about 3,500 years old. They've been doing this. For sure, for about 2,000 years, they'd been doing it on this road (laughs) in Jerusalem, okay? In other words, this is, you might almost think of this as a church service. Now, it wasn't. I'm causing you to stretch a little, but it is a tradition that we do it this way. The pilgrims arrive at this time on this day every year to present the lambs. That's what this is. The pilgrims are arriving with their lambs, and it has to be right now. This has an order. There is a way that we do this. There is a religious right way that we do this, and it's all getting messed up. God's not doing it right. He's he's acting in the natural in ways that doesn't go with the way we normally do this. Why else would they say that? That's why they call out to Jesus and they say, rebuke your disciples. They're messing this up. And Jesus answered and says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, there's a whole teaching we could do there. Well, we're not going to, but I think you deserve like a quick, the, the quick version. You see, because that ultimately ends up happening. Jesus is prophetically speaking here, like he's always doing. Eventually, what's going to happen is the Jewish people, you see, this is a Jewish multitude, and they are praising out. And he's saying, if they don't, God will raise up stones that will praise me. And he does. It's the Gentile church. Okay, and there are lots of other scriptures we could teach for six months on that. He's building his house with living stones. That's you. Okay, you're the, you're the living stones. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And now I'm going to stop before I run down too much of a rabbit trail. But I want to talk about what's going on here. This, we have to set the historical stage. What happens is they're bringing their lambs. Okay, and it, like I said, it has to be right now. And the reason is because they're getting ready for Passover and Passover is scheduled For the next five days, the lambs have to be examined by the the chief priests, the the scribes, the Pharisees. Primarily, the Sadducees were the ones who were responsible for the temple work that were aloof from the people and the orchestration of the temple. But each had a role in the orchestration of this holy week as the lambs are coming, and they would be examined. Why? Why five days? Because they had standard procedures to make sure that every single lamb was without spot or blemish. In fact, their goal was to try and find spots and blemishes. Their goal was to to find lambs so that none would slip through the cracks, right? Because they had to be without spot or blemish. So they would be ready for the slaughter on Passover, okay? For the Passover slaughter, okay? Pasach. So Jesus is presenting himself as the lamb of the world, like had been done for 3,500 years and on this road for, I should have researched exactly how many years, but (laughs) for a long time on this road. That's what's happening here. Now, Jesus 
is then examined for five days by the same religious leaders while the lambs are being examined. In fact, the next chapters leading up to his death are his examination. A little bit more background. And there's gold, I promise. The religious leaders have two goals as it comes to Jesus, and it's obvious in the text. Their first goal is to turn the heart of the people. They know that they need to do this. You see, the multitudes are praising him. And he's got to turn their heart, what? From Jesus back to the religious, to the law, back to the religious order. That's their first goal. How do we know that? All of this examination happens publicly. In fact, there are places that specifically say things to the effect of they could not, they could not trip him up in front of the people. It literally says in front of the folks. <laughs> so it's public. They have to turn the heart of the people. The other thing is, is they are trying to determine an adequate criminal charge. Right? That's another goal. They have to come up with a charge that'll stick, that the people will buy into, okay, so that they can do it. They already have it in their heart to do away with him. Now, in his examination, I want to briefly look at the four trials that he faces. And we're, we're going to kind of do this quickly because I want, there's something on my heart I know I'm supposed to tell you this morning. So this leads to it. There are four trials. There are four questions that come to Jesus. They, are, they will always be the same four questions. They remain the four questions that come against the kingdom of God today. And, and each question, I should tell you, each question is brought to Jesus, or Jesus is tried by a different group with each question by the religious leaders, okay? And we'll touch that briefly. The first question is, by what authority are you doing these things? What's the source of your power? Who authorizes you to do this? That's the first trial of Jesus as the Lamb of the world being examined by the religious leaders. Okay, In this case, the leaders, it tells it, and I'm going to give you, I'm not going to read all of these scriptures today. If you're a note taker and you want to go dig, I'm, each time I'm going to give you what to read this week. Okay, Luke 20 and verses 1 through 8 is one gospel's account of what of this trial, this question. And it identifies for us that it's the chief priest and the scribes together with the elders. It's those religious leaders, okay? In other words, the ones that are very involved in their lives, the ones that are in the synagogues, in their communities, those leaders bring the question and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? He challenges back, and says, I also will ask you something. And he says, you'll answer me. And he says, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Now, see, he knew that he had him. He's that cool. He knew that he had him. Because he knew that if they said, um, it's, it's from heaven, then they would say, well, then why did you imprison and torture him? And what happened there? And if he said that it's not from God, he knew that the people believed that John the Baptist was a prophet from God and they would be failing in their goal to turn the heart of the people from Jesus to religion. Okay? So he stands as the lamb in trial number one without blemish. They were unable to convict him or turn the heart of the people. Okay, that's the first question. 
Now, I want you to bear in mind, each of these questions, these are the same questions today wielded by an enemy against the kingdom of God. This really is a message where I wish I had five hours. I don't, I don't, but. The second question is asked by the Pharisees and the Herodians. Okay, if you're a note taker, you're looking at Luke 20, 20 to 26. And the question is, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, I'm going to tell you about the groups of leaders here. Okay, the Pharisees. We're just going to learn a little bit. You probably know many of these things, but we're going to learn a little bit about each of these groups of leaders. Okay, the Pharisees are the ones, they are involved in the people's lives. They, they walk around the town like this quite often, and, and they teach to the people and stuff. But they would equate to our master's and PhD students in the halls of academic theology. That's who they are. Okay, and I've been there. It's an interesting place. The, um, the Pharisees are our academics today, love to sit around and argue about things. And, and I mean, they love for the glory of God. We're going to figure this one out. <laughs> That's who the Pharisees are. Okay, and the Herodians are a group of people who they, they are supporters of the Jewish religious system and things, but they're, they believe that there should be a coexisting, have you seen the coexist bumper sticker? They have one of those. They believe that on their donkey. Um, <laughs> they believe that they should get along with the occupation of Rome. And that's how Israel's worship is going to succeed. And what's the question they're asking? In other words, they're funny bedfellows. The Pharisees will not agree with the Herodians on anything, but they've decided they should bring trial number two to convict Jesus together. And the question they ask is one where if Jesus says it's, it's right to pay your taxes, the Pharisees are going to go, yes, we have a criminal charge against him. Of course we shouldn't do that. You see, he's wrong. If he says that you shouldn't pay your taxes, then the Herodians are going to go, yeah, we have a criminal charge against him. You see what's going on here. And you, you know what Jesus says. He, says. he says, you know, give me a coin. He says, show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? And they answered Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Right? So he stands there as the lamb without blemish. They couldn't bring a charge against him. Neither can find fault. And it goes and it says, but they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people. See, they know they have to turn the heart of the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. So Jesus passes trial number two in the five days as the lamb of the world while all the lambs are examined. The third trial comes from the Sadducees. Now, you have to understand who the Sadducees are. You can become a Pharisee through study and things like that. You cannot become a Sadducee. You don't become a Sadducee. It's by lineage. You stand above the rest. In fact, you wear white robes and blue blue, beautiful things with jewels, and you rarely ever would even leave the temple area. You're the orchestrators of the temple. You make sure everything is perfect and according to the law of Moses. You only believe in the Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, you can, you can learn about the, what the prophets said and other books and things, but they did not believe that that was the word of God. 
That's the Sadducees. They're very aloof from the people. Most of the people probably have never had an interaction with a Sadducee. They kind of look at them when they're up at the temple and like, whoa, there's, there they are, kind of thing. Oh, and the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so they were very, very sad, you see. That's true. And it actually relates to this passage. And here the question is, they build a whole scenario around whose wife a woman will be after in the resurrection of the dead. You see, because the law of Moses said that if, if, a, if a guy married and he didn't have children by his wife and he died, then his wife would go to his brother and so forth. Okay, But they set up a scenario, got a hypothetical for you. Jesus. And they say, they build this scenario. They say, now there were seven brothers, seven of them, okay? And, <laughs> and the how's it go? And the first took a wife and died without children, and the second took her as his wife, and he died childless. Then the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. There's their scenario. And it says, here's their question. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as his wife. Now, personally, I think they're asking the wrong question. I just have to say, if the woman, every time she gets with a fellow, the, the dude dies. <laughs> That's a, that is a statistically significant pattern. <laughs> My question would be, why is this woman so poisonous? But they're not interested in that. They want to know whose wife she's going to be in the afterlife. Remember, the Sadducees don't believe in the afterlife. So that it's not a real question. They're trying to trap him. Okay? And of course, Jesus stumps him again. He says, he says, no, no, guys, you've got it all wrong. He says, it's not like that in the afterlife. People aren't given in marriage. So your question is, is not even a real question, guys is what he says. And he stands again in the third question as the lamb of the world being tried by the religious leaders who stands without spot or blemish. They cannot find it. They cannot weed him out of being an acceptable sacrifice. In fact, he goes on. I just have to tell this part because it's so fun and I like Jesus. He goes on, and remember, they only believe in the first five books of the Law of Moses. Right? And what does he do next? It's one of those details you can miss if you're not thinking about this when you read it. He pulls out the book, he pulls out the law of Moses. <laughs> and he says, But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for all live to him. So he goes on and he says, even in your own books, you don't have your theology, right, guys? Resurrection is in the Torah. <laughs> the fourth question, which is the greatest commandment in the Torah? Now, this is the Pharisees again. Now, I've got to show you this. This is just too good. I actually really enjoyed myself this week. Can you tell? <laughs> This time it's the Pharisees again, and it tells us exactly why. In Luke 20 and verse 27, it says, um, no, 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 no. In Matthew, I had to go to Matthew to get the details in this one. In Matthew 22 and verse 34, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the, the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. 
Listen to these words. You know what they did. It's recorded right there. The fair, remember, the Pharisees are like our academics. And they heard that the Sadducees failed to successfully try him. So the academics gather together with a lawyer. And they go, you know what? Enough is enough. We've got to figure out a question that is a sure thing. And I'll guarantee you the question that they ask, this is one that they have wasted 3,000 hours of their life like they do in the masters of theology schools and stuff, trying to come up with the answer and nobody nobody ever can get to the bottom line and everybody leaves still thinking they were right with what they came in with, right? It's that kind of question. Which is the greatest commandment in the Torah? Which is the greatest command? You know they've argued over that until they're purple in the face <laughs> and never got it. The Pharisees. And Jesus comes and says, he doesn't spend a thousand hours debating with them. He just goes ahead and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And then he dropped the mic. <laughs> right? He just gave them a question that you know they have argued about. They thought it was the sure deal. They could end the trial and arrest him now. <laughs> Didn't work. And then we're not even going to read it this morning, but what happens next? Jesus says, guys, let me tell you the real question. And he actually says, um, what do you think about the Christ? Whose, whose son is he? And they, they talk about that some. I recommend you read it this week. That's in um, the same chapter, Matthew, Matthew 22 and starting about 41. In other words, he goes back to the original question. The multitude, you see, their heart was moved. They sensed that God was doing something. Their heart was moved to say, who is this? But not the religious leaders, see? The religious leaders already had a fully loaded agenda. Their heart was not moved to say, who is this? They thought they knew. They thought they knew that he was a problem, messing things up. So here's where we're going with this. Let's see, Father, help me. Okay, go with me to Luke 19 and verse 41. It's the last scripture we're going to look at. And then I have to tell you, my prayer is not just that we learn things about their culture and the narrative of the last week of Jesus. My prayer is that we're about to receive something that's really going to be life-changing, that the Holy Spirit's really going to use to show us a new perspective in truth that is life-changing, okay? What we've done is we've rewinded the tape, okay? We're back to Jesus getting ready to enter Jerusalem. I'm going to read a couple of verses here, but I have a job for you while I read it. Here's your job. We're going to find out that Jesus weeps. As I read, I want you to ask the question, why does he weep? What is he weeping over? Okay, Jesus weeps. In verse 41, it says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. 
For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Weeps for ignorance. He weeps for ignorance because they did not know the time of their visitation. Now, now listen to me. I've seen this this week like I've never seen it before. Okay, The word visitation is a funny word, right? It's the word episcope, which is the same word for like Episcopalian, um, the Episcopal, it's where that comes from, okay? Episcope, visitation, literally means inspection for your office. All of that is in that word when you look at it. It's a superintendence and by implication inspection for your office. In other words, he weeps because they did not know the time of their inspection for their office. Now, now listen to me. Every one of you, God made, God designed you for your days. His love for you is that intricate as your creator, as your maker. The Word of God tells us that He knew every one of your days before you lived the first one of them. And He designed you for those days. He is your perfect Creator that loves you exquisitely perfectly. Okay? He's planned for you purposes, offices, anointings, like we've already talked about. Every one of you is designed for anointings and purposes in your life. When we celebrate Palm Sunday, okay, we're reading a story about Jesus coming in and people who were born, who lived in that day and age, who were there at this event or could have been, should have been at this event. And there are some, there's a multitude who senses the move of God, senses God is doing something right now. Who is this? And they go out to praise him, right? They're made for this. This doesn't surprise God. He knew they would be alive on that day to worship the king or the stones would cry out. And there are others who just happen to be their religious leaders who are missing, that he's weeping over because they missed the day of their visitation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They miss the inspection for their office, their opportunity to step into what they're made for, the moment God moves. You see, the Word of God tells us God is always moving. Jesus himself says, my Father is always working. And I understand that. But the Scriptures also show us another element of truth where where God acts, their real acts in real time in the natural. Okay, God has moment. He has moments of visitation that we either have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that can sense what's going on here. Who is this? Or we don't. We can be so wrapped up in in religion that we miss the actual move of God. Or we can have so many philosophies of this world and how it works that we're completely blind to the actual move of God that is the high calling of your office. That is the day that God said, I knew that you would live today 
that you would be alive on the earth exactly like I made you for this moment to step into your high call in Jesus Christ and participate in your office. There are moments, moments of visitation that he means for you to have, participate in, not miss out on. Amen? You see, he's coming into Jerusalem and there's a multitude who doesn't miss their moment. The stones don't cry out because those Jews in the multitude who were moved by the, by the Spirit of God, who could sense God's activity, not just, not just activity, but God's activity right now, the real genuine thing, God doing something, his will in this earth, they sensed it and they participated. And then there were those who could not sense the move of God, who were so wrapped up in the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, the thinking of this world, that they had an agenda to test and try Jesus and make sure it aligns, aligns with what they think, and they completely miss the high call of their office. And those are the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes miss their moment to participate in the great things of God's move in their very day. Jesus weeps because they miss their moment of visitation. All that you're made for. Those moments come in your life. God has not stopped acting this way. Amen? Do you know that's true? He's moving and acting in your life, all around you, in this church, in your family, in, in, in you, in the community. He is doing things today in our world, and it comes in moments. It's the truth. The move of the Spirit of God comes in moments. He says, he says now. Have you ever heard people, people pray and they say, now, Lord, they sense something and they say, do this now, Lord. Are they commanding God? And they're sensing in the spirit they're agreeing with God. They're sensing that this is now and I'm going to participate in this. Yes, Lord, now in my life, I sense this. Okay? I'm certain that the Lord still weeps over us. He also dances over us because he is perfectly capable to finish the work that he started in us. And he is perfectly capable to make sure you participate. You have the joy and peace of participation in your identity in Jesus Christ, all the great things he's planned for you. But I'm absolutely certain also when I look at my own life, there are times that he weeps because I'm more like the religious leaders. And I missed a moment. I missed a moment. God was moving and I didn't go. I didn't see it. I didn't sense it. I'd encourage you to go read about Jesus' trying those, those four questions this week. I, I promise you'll be blessed to see your king stand there above their trials fully qualified to be the sacrifice that you and the rest of the world needed. It's a great way to get ready for Easter. But I also challenge you, ask the Lord this week how your life may be in such a way that, that you are not setting yourself up in expectation to receive the changes 
the new things, the moves of God that he is trying to give you. My prayer this week as I go towards Easter, and actually I'm gonna, if it's okay with you, I'm going to pray this over you right now, that he would be revealing the barriers and he would be making us a people that are more like the multitude, that are really sensitive to the moves of God, even if they kind of shatter our preconceptions so that we would become a people that just go with him, that can sense when the Father is doing something. Does anybody want to be like that? Okay, so do I. And let's just pray that right now. Is that okay? Okay. Father God, we thank you for this word and the revelation that's in it. We thank you that your will is going to be done no matter what. Your will is going to be done. That um, You will raise up stones to do your will if that's what's necessary. We ask, Lord, that you would accept our sacrifice of praise even this morning. Lord, that you would that we would be the vessels of your will. We don't want you to have to raise up stones, Lord. We want to be your stones. Will you fill us for your purposes and make our spirits sensitive to your moves so that we can quickly go with you and and say yes and agree with what you want to do? Lord, I ask a blessing over every person here that the work of the enemy to steal their participation in the amazing things, in the moments of their visitation, the amazing things that you have planned to bless them with, that the enemy would no longer have an ability to thwart or stop that, that you would begin healing things and changing things and taking brokenness into victory so they're just ready to be a sacrifice of praise for you and carriers of your will for the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.